Warning, the following podcast contains foul language, sexual themes, and all sorts of other fun stuff. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome back, our lovely listeners. Uh, I'm sure there are many of you returning today. We are, of course, still reading Twilight because it is still 2020 and we have nothing better to do while we sit here in quarantine, wasting away, watching the world pass us by, leave us behind, falling apart, nature reclaiming humanity. And it's all well-deserved because we live in a world where four books of the Twilight Saga were published. I am M. And I'm Sarah. And we're here today to help walk you through that wonderful tale. That was the most horrifying intro I think you could have done. I just wanted everyone else to feel my pain a little bit. I wanted them to share in it. I've uh, I've reread these first five chapters three times now through the various uh, note retaking and editing. And uh, every time I start to hate my life a little bit more. Well, at least you have this outlet for expressing all of the dread and anxiety that these books are giving you. Um, you can come here and you can yell about them, though not so loud that it destroys the audio. I was going to say, like, I can, I can yell about them, but then Brandon will probably kill me. <laughs> yes, Brandon is our editor, um, and he was pulling his hair out, trying to level us out uh, in the first episode. Oh, God has blessed that man. (laughs) He has to sit here and listen to us do this while we record, and then he has to sit there and listen to it while he edits it. He has also never read the Twilight books. Um, I think he was forced to go see some of the movies. But uh, he is one of the lucky few who has never cracked open um, one of these tomes. And honestly, I envy him. I want to see him crack open one of these tomes. I want to know what happens. I think he might explode. He, I don't know how much, like, young adult, like, gritty vampire romance he's ever read. Gritty? Can we call it gritty? (laughs) Is that the, is that an accurate descriptor? I certainly think that's what Stephanie Meyer was going for. Um, but I don't, I don't think it, um, (laughs) I don't think she really got what she was going for. True blood, this is not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh, true blood. Oh, that's a show I haven't thought about in a long time. Book series, you mean? Well, it was also a show, okay? Don't... Yeah, but we review books, not TV, Sarah. God God help us if we have to review the True Blood books. Aren't there like 48 books in that series? I'm pretty sure I read nearly like 10 of them when I was younger, and I didn't finish the series. So... Okay, hold on. So we've got Googling. Oh, oh, Googling. oh, it's the Southern Vampire Mysteries, also known as True Blood. Okay, how many books are there? Oh, there's not 48. It looks like there's only about 10. Wait. There's thir- 13 plus 18 novellas. 18! 
18 novellas. Uh, and then there's After Dead, What Came Next in the World of Suki. Is it Suki or Suki? It's Suki. Suki. That's a show. Like, I, to be clear, I've never watched True Blood. I just know that people were really into it. And then there's the Suki Stackhouse Companion. So that was our editorial on True Blood. <laughs> the true gritty vampire. In the, okay, if we're going to talk novels. about true, like, gritty vampire novels, we can reference Anne Rice, okay? We don't... <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen Interview with a Vampire? <laughs> Many times. Oh my god, that movie is so beautiful. How do you feel about Underworld? Wait, we just watched the first Underworld movie the other day, and I am obsessed with it. Who came up with this? I really want to know. Like, I wh- whose brain conjured Underworld? I'm sure I could find it with a quick Google search, but I would like to live in the world of mystery. Somebody who realized there were not enough full-length features of women in leather. (laughs) You're not wrong. Okay, okay, okay. We can't keep going on about other superior vampire works here. Are you sure? Are you sure we can't? I'm positive. We have to get to the, the meat, the delicacy that is the Twilight Saga. So we, we left off at the end of chapter two. That is where she stormed away. Uh, and almost hit somebody when backing out of her out of the a parking spot. Yeah, she was foreshadowing. Yeah, seriously. If that 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 does seem, I didn't think about it at the time because if it is the intent to foreshadow, it's so bad. But like that very well may be Stephanie Meyer's attempt to foreshadow. It also like kind of makes you question it a little bit, knowing that Meyer probably doesn't know what foreshadowing is. Um, and yeah. <laughs> you know, she's probably sitting there writing and she's like, foreshadowing, people only have one shadow. <laughs> I thank you for laughing at that. that. I thought of that joke and I knew it was bad before it came out of my mouth. <laughs> I can just, I can just picture it though. And that's what's great about it. It's just so literally like inept in terms of literary knowledge like she didn't even make it to middle school but like she doesn't understand freshmen over analyzing poetry enough to use the terms and stuff yeah well because you know they, they they did that like feature on her after the first movie came out and everybody was freaking out about it and they showed like her sitting in her office with like her um 12 children running around and uh one of them like jumps up onto her lap while she's writing and there's some scenes that are so bad that i'm literally like did your child write this did your child slam his face on the keyboard while you were writing? <laughs> Literally, my cat wrote a better chapter when when he jumped up on my keyboard. <laughs> oh I, I pity the computer that your cat jumps up onto. Because I'll end his life? No, because he's huge. Yeah. Yes, he is. Okay, enough about us. Chapter yes. three. Uh, we will be structuring this a little bit better than last time. Uh, we realized that there was, it was a little 
rambly and uh, we wanted to make sure that there was a bit more clarity to what was happening in the story and a more linear path that we were walking down because there's nothing else but a linear path when Stephanie Meyer is writing. Um, she doesn't do subplots very well. No. No, she doesn't. So we will be starting with chapter three. Uh, and this is at the beginning of the chapter. Bella wakes up and she looks outside. She's like, oh, it's all snowy. I hate it. I hate <laughs> it. Screw the snow. Screw this beautiful world outside. Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> and she's like, she thinks about how she's excited to go to school. And then she realizes she's excited to go to school because she'll get to see Edward. And then she realizes that she's a fucking idiot for thinking that way. I just like, I don't understand why she's even excited to see him. And I would probably get it if maybe he was just eye candy that she had never spoken to. If she was just like, oh, I'm so excited to go to school because then I have some more, um, more things to think about tonight when I get home. But like she- Stalker much? She wants to go to school to see this guy who has only ever been either like rude or condescending to her. That's what I said. I was like, she even acknowledges how aggressive he is and like how scary he is while she's saying that she's excited to see him. And I'm like, what? I don't understand you. I truly believe that because Bella has she's spoken before about not getting positive attention from boys but then she also spent most of her life it feels not really getting the kind of attention she needed from her mother because she wasn't really being raised or nurtured by her because she was basically raising her mother um and so i feel like bella is like a perfect example of someone who would fall into a codependent abusive relationship you know what she does it does it makes sense that it, it's like when uh little kids are desperate for attention and so they start acting out in bad ways just because they don't care if it's negative attention they're getting they just want it oh yeah uh i used when i used to teach i had plenty of kids who would just like scream and cry and rage and then the moment that you went over to talk to them they were like little angels and it's because they just want you to be there they want you to be in front of them talking to them they don't want you know anyone else so, to get that attention so what we're establishing here is that bella is actually a toddler that never got the chance to grow up we've, we've been talking this whole time about how she's old for her age and uh the, the sad reality is that she's really a 17 year old with the mind of a, a four-year-old oh <laughs> uh. Oh my god. So she uh she drives to school in the snow and ice, somehow doesn't crash and burn, uh thinking and she tries to distract herself from everything by thinking about Mike and Eric and why they like her so much. And she's like, Maybe my my clumsiness is seen as endearing instead of just pathetic. And I'm like, No. No, Bella, you're just pathetic. <laughs> It's not cute once you do it for the seventh time in three chapters. It's just annoying. It, yeah. She, it's like, I, I said this in the first episode, that it feels like Stephanie Meyer doesn't actually know what clumsiness is. It feels like Stephanie Meyer doesn't understand the rule of three. The rule of three. Can you explain that rule for everybody else, not me? Oh, sure. Sure, Sarah. Uh, so when setting up a comedic premise, uh, the idea is that you do it twice 
And then when you do it a third time, you subvert the expectations, and therein lies the humor. Uh, when you just do the same thing over and over again, it's not funny. Right. I knew that. Totally. Nor is it endearing. <laughs> it's kind of like when I say, oh my God, for the 800th time in one episode. Except I don't have to read a paragraph about you doing that. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, at least you can just like skip through, <laughs> skip through all of my oh my gods or make a drinking game out of it. We don't want to kill our listeners, Sarah. They're going to be few enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at the end of this section, though, she says, I, I wasn't sure if I didn't prefer being ignored. And I read that line and I just kept thinking about it. And I, I broke it down. I took apart the... Uh, the conjunction like tried to like work it out and I just, I can't make it make sense. I still can't tell if it was meant to be sarcastic and she was saying she prefers being ignored or if it was meant to be serious. And she says she's saying she prefers to be ignored because the sentence actually doesn't make sense the way it's written. So she's definitely saying that she be, she's getting all this po like quote unquote positive attention from boys, but it's really resulting in some like fighting and awkwardness. So she's certainly saying that she's like, I don't even know if I want this attention. Like, I don't know if I wouldn't just rather everybody ignore me. It's just, yeah. it's just Stephanie Tone, Meyer. It's like, yeah, there's lots of double negatives in Stephanie Meyer's writing. And not well written. Like they, double negatives can be funny. Like I could almost read this line as an intention to like play it off comedically, but it's incoherent. So it, it doesn't work. She's trying. She's got the spirit. Um, in this scene as well, when Bella gets to school, she's like, I can't believe I didn't slip and slide all over the damn place. And she realizes that Charlie put snow chains on her tires. Because Charlie, number one dad. Dad of the year. I love he, this man. She's like, he woke up at like when it was still dark out without saying anything and just went out and put some change on my chains on my tires and went to work. So sweet because like I think there's like there's definitely an element of this that like definitely tracks with his character because earlier when he was like I got you this truck and she like randomly like freaked out and was like oh my god I love the truck so much he was super embarrassed about it so I feel like there's a part of him that was definitely like I could ask her if she wants me to put snow chains on her tires but then she might like be super grateful again and I'll be embarrassed all over again. So he just went out and did it because he knew it needed to get done anyway. I, I actually, I can resonate well with this because I really enjoy getting people gifts and doing things for them. But, and I really like seeing them happy afterwards. But if they start thanking me for it, I just kind of like shut down. I don't know how to deal with it anymore. So I'm, I just want to do it and then watch the person be happy and be done with it. Oh, no, I totally get it. Gift giving is definitely my love language, but I like receiving gifts as much as I love giving them. And that sounds really, really snotty and annoying, but like, it doesn't have to be a big gift. It could just- Oh no, I'm the same way. Like- It could just be a note I get that it. you write or something. Bella's love language is obviously smugness and gaslighting. And abuse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, abuse me more, Daddy Ed. Abuse me. <laughs> She's super turned on by the thought of being neglected and manipulated. Ugh. Okay, <clears throat> so in the following scene, 
Um, it's almost time for Bella to die. I know. Uh, so the following scene, Bella almost dies um, when Tyler loses control of his van. Uh, but then, of course, uh, Captain Gaslighter jumps across several rows of cars to protect her in one of the most famous scenes from Twilight history where he, like, grabs her and stops the van with his bare hands. Bare hands. That's why he left those indents. That's why he's so strong. He's a werebear. <laughs> we misunderstood this whole time. He's not a vampire. Is he exercising his right to bear arms? Always. <laughs> I So this scene, first of all, um, the description of the action in this scene is very confusing and I had to read it probably three or four times. Oh, I had no idea what was going on when she talked about spinning around and like her head. I was like, what? <laughs> because I the, like if there was a car parked next to her and like, I don't, I don't know. It was just the way that Stephanie described it. I was just very unsure of exactly, like I understood that the meat of the action was that Edward stopped the van with his hands. And, but then it was like, I guess it was still careening around to the side. So like when her legs were going to be squished by it, he like pulled her out of the way and then like lifted the van up so that it wouldn't drop onto her. But I was just like, so I remember reading the first time I read it, I was confused and all 30 times after that I, I'm still confused and don't quite understand it's, it is quintessential from the first three chapters at this point we can gather it's quintessential Smire writing which is I'm going to tell you something in a convoluted way if you try to make sense of it you're not going to be able to but you'll get the general idea of what I'm going for here yeah um, and it's like it needed to either be elaborated on further, like she needed to spend a lot of time like in this slow-mo scene, seeing what was happening to give us a better idea of it, or it needed to happen just just like that. And we see like her processing it in the aftermath. I think it would have been much more powerful if it was something that only like happened over the course of like five seconds where the van was careening towards her and he stopped it in its tracks and she had hit her head on the on the sidewalk the way she explained and then everything else is just like everything that happened after that um but because she tries to do this like really elaborate setup with things like spinning around and her like moving her legs and stuff i don't know it was just really confusing and less is more less the, is more sometimes yeah i think the honestly and this is gonna like I, I've talked before about how I appreciate the the first Twilight film much more than I probably should. Uh, but I think the movie executed it really well because the van is just coming straight towards her. He gets in front of her, stops it dead in its tracks, and then that's the whole encounter. And um, it's very much just like, <clears throat> holy shit, what just happened? And I feel like that was much more powerful. And uh, so after the whole ordeal, uh, Bella's like, what the hell just happened? And he tries to convince her that he was standing next to her the whole time. Yes, light! And I'm like, okay, still down with the, like, you're trying to conceal yourself thing. I get it, but, uh, you just blew your cover hardcore, like. Yeah, like, once the cover is blown, it's blown. And if he really doesn't want to tell her that he's a vampire, like, he could really just like if she's like how did you get over here it's not hard for him to just be like 
I don't know. Like I just moved and then I was there and then I helped you. Like he doesn't have to be like, what are you talking about? I was there the whole time. Like him being confrontational about it is straight up making it worse. And like she talk, she can see his family across like the six cars away and they're all just glaring at him. And I'm like, that's a valid reaction. They're sitting over there like, we tried so hard. We sat at those lunches in the lunchroom, just staring at the walls, not talking. We were doing so good at fitting in. Listen, in their defense, they are in the most oblivious town in America. So, you know, they had it going. Like, they could have kept going. I... (laughs) Are you sure? Because I'm a little concerned. Because in this scene, Bella also says that Ed unleashed the devastating power of his eyes on her. He went full Uchiha, like, Naruto moment. I'm like, what What does that even mean? Do these people have eye power? It's so bad. It sounds so bad. I, listen, I'm just amazed that in that moment, as he stared at her, he didn't hear him utter, <laughs> she didn't hear him utter underneath his breath, and then she had a hole in her (laughs) but yeah so the scene ends with him going to the hospital and i'm just like ed Ed ensures that she has to ride in the back of the ambulance by telling them that she hit her head but then insists that he's fine and rides in the front of the ambulance and i'm just questioning if that's how that works is that how that works (laughs) I didn't think that was, I've never rode an ambulance. I think they all know that like his dad is like the hotshot doctor who's secretly fucking the chief of police. So <laughs> like they have to listen to him. They're like, dude. Char- See, I would think in that situation, they would be concerned about not performing their jobs well enough because of who he is and getting in trouble. Possibly. I think it depends on how many women that he's pulled from in front of careening van <laughs> ah, it's the sixth time this month come on ed you have to wonder because if this happens once in this school parking lot how many times has it happened is tyler a serial killer tyler's a serial killer tyler's actually the cold one that's why tyler gets so obsessed with bella because he failed to take her out oh my god this 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 hospital scene where he's just they're like they're sitting in the hospital And first of all, the first thing that Bella does when she gets into the hospital after the nurse leaves is takes her neck brace off and throws it under a bed across the room because she's like, it's a stupid neck brace. And she doesn't even, she hasn't had it confirmed by doctors that she's fine yet. She just doesn't care because she she's like a middle schooler she's like a 12 year old that doesn't want to look dumb by wearing a neck brace and i'm like bitch you could have slipped a disc or something what are you doing this entire time her whole concern is being embarrassed and i feel so bad for her because i don't know who nailed this into her head that she can never be in a slightly awkward situation but like She really spends so much of these first hundred pages talking about how humiliated she is. It's troubling. (laughs) Especially when it, like, it goes to the point of potentially endangering your own well-being by taking off a neck brace after just hitting your head in a near collision. (laughs) And uh, Tyler then just spins the scene just apologizing profusely. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's hard because she's literally like, 
she she talks about how annoying it is that he continues to apologize he literally almost killed her if it wasn't for the magic of edward cullen she would be dead and she makes like random quips about it about how he he should have let the man squish her or whatever which gives me the impression that she's kind of fatalistic i mean not that she doesn't talk about it all the time but um which she fucking does she literally talks about dying so much but then she's like okay so this uh, not to bring it back to the preface but the first sentence of the preface is i'd never given much thought to how i would die she thinks you do it all the time she thinks about dying constantly like she and the thing is like she says i never had given much thought to how i would die skip to like three chapters later and she literally almost dies with Tyler's van. So what is she talking about? Oh my god, this is all coming full circle. Smire, please. Uh hire it. Bella. Oops, I mu- almost muffed it up again, Swan. <laughs> I saw that in your notes and I was actually laughing so hard at your muffed comments. Oh my god. She So Oh, but Tyler does confirm in this scene that Ed was, in fact, not standing there. Yeah, because, oh my gosh, I remember when I was reading that and I was like, so is Bella going to start gaslighting Tyler now? Is this just going to be a circle of gaslighters until eventually Edward's the one being gaslit? No, Edward, I didn't kiss Bella. (laughs) Yeah, you're right, Jacob. I'm sorry. I don't don't know why I would ever think that of you. Dude, we've got two and a half books to get through before we get to that fucking scene. And I... No, Ed, I'm not trying to fuck your baby. (laughs) What? (laughs) Stop. Oh, my God. Sorry. Sorry. Wait. Sorry. You're right. right. You're right. We're, we're, We're a little too far back for that. I need to need to rewind. I am so scared. We're going to have to go chapter by chapter with Breaking Dawn because it is such a mess. It is a whole mess. We have, look, we got to clean up this mess first, Sarah. We can't. We can't. Okay. So. Turns out Bella's fine. (laughs) (laughs) She's fine. Um, Your note number three under this scene made me laugh so hard. Oh my God. So, yeah. So, Bella, when Carlisle comes in and checks on her while Ed's in there, and he does like her final check through and talks to her, and uh, she mentions that she would be dead or whatever if Ed hadn't saved her. And uh, the way Carlisle responds, she says she has a flash of intuition and uh, or a flicker of intuition and realized that he was in on it. And all I can think is that she is Schrodinger's bell curve. She is simultaneously the most intelligent and the dumbest person in any room until she is viewed. It's not decided. <laughs> we don't know. It's impossible to tell. Like, I am reading, we're reading this book from inside her brain, and I still can't decide her level of intellect. And honestly, like, there's a big part of me that's like, well, maybe she's just book smart, because she's, like, really good in school, but then she just rips off her neck brace as soon as she gets into the hospital. And, like, and here's the thing. Why did it take until that, like, it simultaneously makes her seem smart that she realized it. But at the same time, she should have realized it from the first day in the cafeteria because entire family of oddly similar but dissimilar foster children that have been adopted by a young doctor and his wife. Like, that are all sleeping together. 
did you not already assume that the parents would be in on whatever was going on in that situation? Because that is the natural assumption to make. Why did it take up until now for you to figure that out? I don't know. I mean, because she assumes at one point that he was bitten by a radioactive spider. And I mean, Aunt May didn't know that Peter was bitten by a spider. Neither did Miles Morales's parents or Gwen Stacy's dad. So so are we going with the same logic that people can't recognize Clark Kent without his glasses as Superman here? Is that what is that the logic for level of intelligence we're going for? Have you seen Zoe Deschanel without bangs? Bangs and glasses are very different. <laughs> but like, so the, if you see a picture of Zoe Deschanel without bangs, she is unrecognizable. So you know what? Listen. Is she still beautiful? Do you recognize me now? Yes. I've known you for a decade. It's more than a decade. Because uh, oh, we God, met... Yeah, because we met in middle school. Anyways, Carlisle tells her she can leave. And, uh... But she's angry at Ed and she wants to know what actually happened. So they go out and have a little cat fight in the hallway and uh, before she leaves. And it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's, I don't, so the only thing, I made a note at the end of my notes that like, and I can come back to this later, but it is, there is something to be said about teenage girls being attracted to men who annoy them. And the only reason that I have insight into this is because I'm now married to a man that annoys me. And we started dating when I was a teenager. So my hypothesis has been proven. The oh only thing God. is, while I am very annoyed by my husband, I also- Your husband isn't a vampire that gaslights you? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just a normal person who gaslights me. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. He doesn't gaslight me. We have a very happy relationship. But what she says. <laughs> you'll never know the truth. Um, but I do understand why she's kind of like, because he's so hot and she's just like, sometimes he's a little bit nice. And so then when he's being smug and like laughing, there's got to be a part of her that's like, oh, I will make this man my bitch or something along those lines well she even asks him in this scene if he's bipolar and i'm like is that when she asks if he's bipolar oh okay and the next one is where she's like do you have multiple personalities disorder yeah. i i felt a little bit bad because i was re-listening to the first episode and i was like listen i'm not a psychologist but i think that bella suffers from depression or anxiety or something like that and i was like oh i hope people don't take that the wrong way but the way bella is diagnosing edward with all of these random illnesses to be fair though like Given his behavior, I would also question his sanity. Yeah. Which is good reason to stay. And that's what I'm like, you're realizing that his behavior is indicative of somebody who's not mentally stable and you're still like, full speed ahead. I'm on this Ed train. Yeah. It's the, this part, we're, we're hyper-focusing a little bit on this part, but like the next part where they're at lunch together that is, oh my gosh, I could talk for eight hours about that scene. Well, let's get there Look, first. <laughs> I, I appreciate in this scene that Ed's even like, she's like, why'd you even save me? He's like, I don't know. And I'm just like, great, 100-year-old man just saved a woman. And he's like, I, I have no idea why I did it, ma'am. I don't 
No. Uh, it's like he just wants to get his dick wet and he like everything else like trumps that. Why did you save me? Uh, well, you see, I feel like in a few thousand pages, I'll get to fuck you. And, uh, oh my God. Edward, he's, he's vexing. Truly. Um, he's, he's a destroying angel. Oh, <laughs> calls a, a destroying angel. Myers, 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 listen to me. I will help you, Myers. Email me. Give me a call. Do whatever you need to do. I will help you write better lines than this. A destroying angel's not a descriptor. That sounds stupid. You sound stupid. You can be better. Listen, we have to find a happy medium between telling Smyre to throw away her thesaurus and uh, telling her to use a fucking better word. I think she's like, she's again just going overboard with trying to find different ways of describing him as being like this like dark entity, which is hey, funny. Hey, do you know what a destroy, you know what a, a, a good way to create a, a dark angelic figure is? Fallen angel. It's almost like it exists already or like a demon (laughs) she's she's like going over the top with trying to make edward out to be this like dark temptation that bella shouldn't give into but in the end he's he's just like a dude who wears like a beige jacket and khaki pants and (laughs) and drives a volvo and he drives a volvo like this guy is so boring he's really not that exciting i mean when he's robert pattinson he's like a god but like any other time he's just a dude that Mormons would be really into. (laughs) I'm sorry. We said in episode one that we weren't going to be mean to Mormons. And then we made like eight Mormon jokes, but it's all, I don't have anything against Mormons. I was just, it's good fun. Okay. You can make fun of me if you want. That's fine. I do that all the time. (laughs) She does. It's, it's a problem. I have a lot of self-esteem issues. All right. The I mean, next... you'd have less self-esteem issues if you were better at being a person. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next scene. They go home, and Bella gets angry at her dad for telling her mom what happened. You know, like a parent does when their child ends up in a hospital because they almost died. <laughs> so, coming from a 17-year-old girl's perspective... I kind of get it because, again, this whole thing has just been, in Bella's mind, a huge embarrassment. And so she's, like, trying to minimize it and keep it as small as possible. And then for Charlie to go and, like, tell her mom, who she probably knows is going to have a really immature catty freakout about it. Oh, she knows. She talks about how how much she knows that it's going to happen. So it's, I kind of get where she's coming from, but again... Of course, her dad, dad of the year, Charlie Swan, is going to tell her mom about it. Um, and once again, we're getting back to that odd polarization of her character where at some points in time, she's insightful and understands why people act the way they do and is able to like put the pieces together. But here she's not able to put the pieces together that it would look really bad if her father the chief of police and her guardian while she is still a minor didn't inform her other parent that she was in the hospital. Yeah. Like on a surface level. I think what we're getting here is a mixed tone between Stephanie Meyer being a parent and understanding what a parent should do and her trying to portray a teenager who is at 
the same time mature for her age and also immature which again brings me back to the thought of how the hell she even survived her childhood when her mother wasn't even taking care of her i so i mentioned in the first episode just closing out this chapter and this concept uh i mentioned in the first episode that it seemed like as a joke it seemed like stephanie just wrote scenes and then decided if it was close enough to make the characters work in the scenes yeah but the way this actually reads to me is she it's like she wrote segments of the story and as you write a story a lot of the times your characters develop and change just like real people as you kind of put them in new situations and think how they would handle them and it seems like she wrote it in sections and then when she went when she had the finished piece, she didn't go back and try and unify it. She didn't try to make sense of the disparate thoughts and actions that characters took. She just said, okay, it's done. I don't need to make it make too much sense. I, um, and we'll get into this a lot later, especially uh, after the scene where Bella, uh, Edward saves Bella when she's like by herself out of town. Um, that I feel like Stephanie Meyer struggled to write a convincing romance that involved actual like chemistry. And so what she did was she created a male hero and a female damsel who then in the, at the end of the day, it was like, he'd saved her life so many times that of course, why wouldn't she love him? Why wouldn't she be so devoted to him? She, I mean, he just keeps coming and saving her life. And it's, it's troubling simply because again, I, I told you last time that we were, I was going to keep track of the things that they have in common. We haven't even made it to the first one yet, by the nope. way, the first, and I'm pretty sure only one um that's the problem there's just it's all it is is you're hot you keep saving me it's it sends a bad message it does but i don't and i hate to be the person that's like you're responsible for the message you send to your readers because i'm not gonna typically harp on that too much but like she is writing a young adult adult romance novel and you have to be a little conscious of the image you're setting and message you're sending to kids <laughs> I think the most important thing to remember, though, is she didn't do it on purpose. She's not trying to write a toxic romance. No. She happened to do it because of how misguided she was. But yeah, that's, that's a lot of stuff that we'll also get into a lot more later as their relationship actually develops. Because um, I remember even thinking as a, as a kid when I was reading this when I was 12 years old, that when, she, when Bella says the iconic line about being... Um, <clears throat> unconditionally and irrevocably in love with him I was literally like why like why I can understand being attracted to him like wanting to know more about him but she falls so head over heels in love with this guy so fast it's troubling and I think Stephanie wanted to create something that felt like romance or not romance it felt like destiny like, like these two were supposed to be together, but in the end, it just feels really contrived and doesn't make a lot of sense. You and me reading Twilight, still a better love story than Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, that is the end of chapter three, uh, which we got through much faster than chapters one and two. I applaud High us. Five. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the chapter four begins with Bella having one of her infamous dreams. 
she's trying to get to Edward uh, to get his attention, but she can't, uh, which I think is, uh, it, it's actually pretty decent. I won't call it good, but it's decent symbolism of the way, of the insecurity that Bella is feeling right now about like kind of really being infatuated by him, but not finding herself to be interesting enough for him to be infatuated with her. It's, it's, it's doing a very good job of portraying Bella's inner struggle uh, at the moment. I didn't have any complaints about the way in which the dream went. A little cheesy, but... <laughs> yeah, it's not the most subtle metaphor, but it's, it's a metaphor, which is she more tried. than, um, like, super successful, internationally famous Game of Thrones writers D&D can say. Um, because they, because <laughs> they think that symbolism is for eighth grade book reports. <laughs> uh, she explains, uh, the aftermath of the accident and how, like, the next month, which is wild to me that we're just skipping a month, but I guess it kind of makes sense. Time skip! From the perspective of someone who doesn't know how to write proper time progression, that she would just say, anyway, the next month was whatever. Um, at least she does skip over scenes that I can imagine would be really, really boring by saying that the next month was pretty inconsequential. Wait, were the scenes so far supposed to not be boring? Uh, well, I, I can only imagine that the stuff she skipped over would have been even worse. Like, this is the only time when I think she might have had an editor. And still it's bad. Yeah, because the editor probably came in and was like, Smire, baby, this book is 800 pages long. You've got to cut out. Like, <laughs> Can you imagine, like, Smire actually had the, like, it was the entire four books length was just Twilight initially. And it was just a day-to-day synopsis of events in Bella's life through the first book. I... I don't think that it would have sold a single copy if it was that fucking long. But would you be surprised if that was what she started with? <laughs> no, I really wouldn't. Because there's so many scenes that are so, like, drawling that it's it's kind of like, I have to imagine that there was even more. Because it doesn't make sense that she would have all of these, like, really drawn out, like, nonsense scenes. And then all of a sudden she's like, anyway, a month went by. Uh it feels like there was definitely someone who stepped in and was like, okay, so like the whole month after the accident, <laughs> you just nix it. And she's like, okay, that's from 700 pages down to, down to 400 pages. So I guess we can do that. I don't know what stuff. Wait, where did the extra like. 90 pages come in at the end then where we bumped back up to 490? <laughs> that's, that's just more of her calling Edward beautiful. Uh. I, I again I it's like she really wants she really wants us to believe that he's hot listen you cast Robert Pattinson I know he's hot that's what she should she made a mistake she should have just named him Robert Pattinson in the book he was like five at the time when she wrote it doesn't matter what do you mean he was five he was like I have no idea how old Robert Pattinson is I think he was 19 this is showing my weirdo behind the scenes knowledge but I think he was like 19 around the time that Twilight was filmed and it was filmed three years after the first book came out so he was like 16 when so he was actually appropriately aged when the book first came out so Smyers had a thing for teen guys creepy oh, oh god stop I wouldn't be surprised um so 
we we do get an overview of the month. Uh, Tyler joined her harem lunch table um, and won't stop apologizing to her. And apparently nobody else noticed Edward's sonic gotta go fast moment. It was only her and Tyler. I mean, it does uh, make sense in just the way that they were probably all staring at her or the van. Like, I don't yeah. think anyone was like, oh, my God, there's a van careening towards Bella. What's Edward doing? Like, Everybody, look at the weird guys. Everyone, um, look at all those hot foster siblings who were all banging each other. I can't let I it go. I would love it if, like, if that scene, Bella just did die. Because and nobody noticed because they were all just watching the Cullens instead because it was far more interesting to stare at them. <laughs> oh my gosh, I I that would be me though. Like I would be sitting in the parking lot just like, damn that boy's hot and damn his sister is hot and oh my gosh his other sister is so hot and then everybody would be like, Bella's dead. <laughs> <laughs> who? And I'd be like, who? What? <laughs> oh, the sheriff's kid? Oh, shit. Anyway, the Cullens, am I right? Like... You want to suck my blood? <laughs> Did you find out about us? Find out what? <laughs> oh, I just like having my blood sucked. What? <laughs> what? No, I'm just a kinky bitch. Okay. So, uh, we, uh, we see that Ed is still ignoring Bella and doing his clenched fist thing every time they sit next to each other. Um... And Bella comes to realize that the fact that she's angry at the guy for that saved her life for not telling her how he saved her life is kind of weird. Um, it's weird, but baby, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't feel that way. Like, I, I, I'm not, I'm torn on her feelings about it because on the one hand, I am the type that would also be very interested in finding out how something that didn't make sense to me happened. Um... And this whole thing reminds me so much of like, have you ever been on a vacation with your parents and then like they force you to watch after your siblings while they go out and have fun so you don't get to do anything and they're like, and you better not complain because we're on vacation. <laughs> and so it's like, the, the look on your face right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's what this reminds me of where she's like, well, he saved my life. So I probably shouldn't complain about the fact that he's a superhuman and literally won't explain a single thing to me, even though he said he would. And then he gaslit me. And that's actually what I was going to say is if it was just that he saved her life and wouldn't explain it, I would be, I would find her anger irritating. But I also feel like Ed dug his own hole on it because he's being a dick about it. So I'm like, I just hate all of you in the situation. I just, I hate, I, I understand and hate all of you equally. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's, there's a part of me that <sighs> I understand where everybody in the situation is coming from, like you said, because I, I get that Ed has to kind of be like, cause he, it's, it's kind of a, a, a heroic kind of thing that he did where he's like, he moved and he saved her and he probably like didn't even think about it when he did it. And it, it's technically a good thing, but now he's in so much trouble because he's just blown his and his whole family's cover for being vampires. And let me tell you right here, this is the exact point in this story where Stephanie could have made Ed a good character and not a douchebag. And it's by completely altering his response to how he to the fact that he did that. The fact that he 
not only says he doesn't know why he did it, but clearly, like, from our point of view, watching him through Bella see that he actually doesn't know makes it not heroic, just something he did on instinct, where if in the moment he knew what it would meant to what it would mean to save her and chose to do it anyways and take that risk because he felt it was the right thing to do that would make him heroic that would actually make him a good person and so she like there was the opportunity to use that line and stephanie just tossed it out i um i i'm i want to try really hard because um i have read the first half of midnight sun from when it leaked um and so I we, like there, we can't we can't I know and that <laughs> and that's the that's the hardest part because like there's a lot of this stuff where I'm like well I know what he was thinking in this scene because I read it but I mean granted there's a lot of this stuff that he's very transparent about because <laughs> because he's not a very deep character um but it, it's I don't know it's it's so hard because you're looking at him and you're like especially knowing what we know out of context um, with like the other three books, not, not with Midnight Sun included, is that like, oh, he, he's, he was, he couldn't be around her because of the way she smelled because she smelled like the smell of her blood was so overwhelming that he couldn't stop himself. And then later. So weird. Yeah. And then he feels infatuated with her at first simply because he, can't read her mind and then she's just like a really vexing and interesting person to him which in a lot of ways is exactly the way that she feels about him where she's just like what are you i feel like the mistake smire made with writing this is that it should have been midnight sun because i think that ed's perspective would have been much more enticing to read this from because for him for her we're just like what the fuck is why is he being weird and why is this weird stuff happening but for him it's we would know what he is we would know what he's risking but we would also be seeing this perspective of i already know i'm like like i'm supernatural i'm this weird entity i can read people's minds why can't i read her mind why does she smell so and it's like that sounds like a lot better of a story to read (laughs) yeah it definitely sounds a lot more compelling versus just being really really frustrating um yeah but bella says that she calls it like she says it's pathetic it's pitiful it's pitiful that she's the only one who pays attention to ed and like you said in your note there is so much wrong with just that one statement because it's like he <sighs> okay so we know out of con- out of the context of this one chapter that the cullens are trying their best to live no- quote unquote normal lives by going to different towns and living as teenagers as many times as they can because they're just they want to not have to face the suffering that is their eternal lives that they can't live a normal life and they can't interact with society in a normal way but at the same time they have to like be so off the grid and different and separate from everybody else so oh my gosh i just i bella is the stereotypical like person who comes into a situation where something is weird and everybody is trying to pretend that it's not weird or they just ignore the weird thing. And she's just like, but it's weird. 
it's weird. We gotta we gotta talk about the fact that it's weird. Can we say that it's weird? Bella can't read a room. <laughs> can't read the room. She can't just look at everything and be like, maybe that maybe these people just want to be left alone. Which granted, Edward stops leaving her alone, so he can't like it's not her fault anymore, but still. Take a hint, girl. Take the hint. Take the fucking hint. Uh, so it's now school dance time. It's time for us to have our uh, lovely scenes of invites and drama, teen drama about a girl's choice dance. Uh. So I, I actually, I meant to make a note on this. What I really, really love about this whole interaction with Mike and Eric and Tyler is that it so well illustrates teenage male entitlement. And the fact that this is supposed to be a dance where girls ask the guys, but these three guys are so sure that Bella wants to go with them that they're like, you know what? I know it's supposed to be girl's choice, but I'm going to make the choice for her. Oh, boy. It's it's actually, like, really good. Like, I have to give props to Stephanie Meyer that she, like, really – because, like, I – I had guys, not personally to me, but like to my friends who for Sadie Hawkins were just like, so are you going to ask me to Sadie Hawkins? So Bella doesn't want to go with any of the boys. And she actually um, has a reason that is not related to Edward, which is impressive. Um, although she I think- can't dance. Yeah, she can't dance. She's too clumsy. Although I do think there's probably a part of her that's like, I would go if it was Edward. Uh, but like, Obviously, he's not going to ask her or tell her to ask him because he doesn't care. Um, but then Edward... Oh, no, that's the next scene. Okay. We, we can wait to get there. <laughs> um, I will say, so we do see the entitlement from the guys asking her to the dance. Uh but at this point, and it's only Mike, and I at least appreciate the fact that Mike takes it. Yeah. When she says no. So she says no, and he's disappointed, but like he accepts it. And he's like, okay. And he's like, I'll go with it. She's like, you need to, you should just go with Jess. And he's like, okay, I'll do that. And that's what he ends up doing. And I'm like, you know what? At least. You may have been, you may have overstepped by like coming in and being like, aren't you going to ask me? But he didn't act like a dick about it. And he accepted it when she said no. And so I was like, you know what, Mike? You're an okay guy. I actually, um, while reading this, I really like Mike as a character. I think that he's, I said this in the first episode as well, that he's a really good representation of a teenage boy. Um, the others are kind of more caricatures, uh, where Eric is obviously like the angry nerdy one. And then Tyler is like the over excited one. Um, Eric's an incel. Eric is an incel. Um, but Mike, Mike is actually like, I, I, of, of the three boys, I can understand Mike having the inclination that Bella might want to go to the dance with him. Well, yeah, they hang, like, they actually talk all the time. Yeah, like, they talk to each other, and they go, they walk to classes together all the time, and Bella doesn't seem to have a sincere dislike of Mike. She actually is, like, fine with him. Like, she's... No, so I was gonna say, like, she, like, we don't get a whole lot of snippets of their conversations, but she does show that, like, when she's talking to him, she's, she's not, like, snide and irritated like she is with a lot of other people. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I would probably say that they are actually friends. Um, and so I can kind of understand if Mike is the only one I can kind of get, it is still like peak male entitlement for them to be like, it's girl's choice, but I'm going to ask anyway, but he's the only one I can understand because she is new. And so if, you know, maybe his thought is like, oh, she's just too shy to ask or whatever. So and I can also see how he, if we saw this from his point of view, how it could be reasonable for him to do it because he didn't tell Jessica no when she asked him. So he might be thinking, you know, I think Bella might ask me and I don't want to say yes to Jessica and then have the situation turn out awkward or tell her no immediately and have it turn out weird. Yeah, I think there's definitely probably a part of him because Anna Kendrick actually plays Jessica in the movie. And yes. <laughs> and this other like cute boy, I don't remember what his name is, plays Mike and they actually look pretty cute together, I will say. But I think there's probably cuz like she's described as having like big curly hair and being cute and short and whatever. So Mike is probably like, yeah, she's hot. Like, you know, I like her. Like we're friends and stuff. So like I think he's also probably just not taking it as seriously as as Jessica is. Yeah. He doesn't realize how much it she's interested. Exactly. So he's just kind of like, well, you know, they're both girls are really cute. He'd probably prefer Bella. But again, and, the, and he doesn't want to leave Jess hanging forever by like just waiting around to see if Bella does anything. Good guy Mike. I, are we a Mike fan club now? Are we team? I'm Mike? a Mike fan. I'm a Mike <laughs> fan personally. Because he's like uh, I th- I was thinking that too. I was like, maybe he just like goes to Bella to speed up the process because he doesn't know if she's like waiting to ask. And so he's like, well, I can't just leave Jessica waiting forever. Okay, we're Mike fans now. Um, yeah. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> the next scene, Edward um, talks to Bella again. Is this the scene where they have lunch together? Yes, this is the lunch scene. So, <coughs> so... Edward is being super cryptic and weird. I, I literally hate the way he talks to her in this scene because he's infantilizing her. He's talking to her like she's a kid. He's like saying all this cryptic weird shit. Um, but then she's like, you should have just let me get squished. And then, oh no, this isn't the scene where they have lunch together. It isn't? No, it's not. This is the scene oh. where this oh, is the no, scene where she drops her books. Classroom. Yes. Yeah. I still hate the way he talks to her in this scene, by the way. But she like drops her books on the way out. And I just I love that because it's actually a good representation of what it's like to be clumsy. Where she's like walking out the door and she's like, oh fuck Edward. Fuck him. I'm gonna make a dramatic exit. And then she just trips on the side of the door. We we both basically have the same note on this scene, which is I, I said she muffed it up, but it's well executed. And you were like, it's accurately portraying clumsiness this time. So yeah, this is this is the one point in the first five chapters where I felt that the clumsiness was well integrated and actually amusing. Uh, and honestly, if it, I think we could have done without it for the most part in the first few chapters. I think if she took most of the mentions out, and we had only the sports gym scene. Uh, where she mentioned after a week, everybody was dodging her immediately if the ball came near her. Uh, then this, and then the dance, mentioning that she can't dance because she's too clumsy, it would have been good. Uh, because the gym thing would have been funny. This is fitting and amusing and just relatable, like you said in the first episode. Um, 
And then the dance thing kind of gives insight into why she's making the choices and the narrative at this moment that she is. It's the additional times piled on top of it that she's clumsy that make it bad. So far, the book has been oversaturated with Edward is hot and Bella is clumsy. And at this point, that's pretty much all, all we this know. book is oversaturated. Like, I, that, that's just, it lives in a constant state of oversaturation. Yeah, pretty much. The following scene is where she goes to gym and it sucks. Um, but then Edward traps her in the parking lot by just, like, pulling out in front of her like an asshole with nobody else in his yes. car. And we know as readers that it's because he can re he can hear Tyler's thoughts, so he knows that Tyler wants to ask her to the dance, and he's just kind of fucking with her. But it's so annoying. I just, like, so everything about him is annoying. And just before he does that too, Eric comes up and asks her and he, he like, he sees and hears the conversation happen from a distance and is just laughing at it. And I, I hate, I hate the Eric invite because number one, I already don't like Eric as a character. I started out being on his side because I felt bad for how Bella just judged him immediately. Uh, but then he just, ended up justifying her judgment which is unfortunate let's be honest sometimes if they walk like an incel and they talk like an incel they're just kind of an incel yeah and unfortunately he ended up being an incel um and so i'm a little torn because she tells him he's like uh we could go to the next one together when she turns him down and she says sure and on the one hand i'm like don't say that like just be up front and tell him no or like that you just you don't even have to outright say no I don't want to go with you you can just say I don't go to dances I don't like dances so like it's a no because I'm not interested in going period regardless of anything else but I'm also like I get it because I've heard enough and read enough stories about women I both know and don't know where a man that they aren't interested uh, walks up to them and it ends poorly when they just are outright, they give an outright refusal. And so I'm like, on the one hand, I'm like, be more upfront. But then I'm like, are you just worried about yourself? Like, I, I guess I want the insight there because it doesn't give us enough of her internal reasoning behind weirdly enough for once we don't get enough. <laughs> so definitely um, something that like, you're very right about, Women in general, and I don't want to say like every woman is afraid of every man, but there is sort of this lingering fear of if I make him mad, what's he going to do to me? Um, I was talking about this with my coworkers the other day because I do work in a building with about 600 employees and uh, most of them are guys. And you get hit on a lot when you work there. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter if you're married, if you're in a relationship. It doesn't matter if you're gay. The guys will still try to hit on you. They'll try to convert you to being straight. They'll, you know, say like, oh, but does your husband love you right? Stuff like that. And there, the number of, of coworkers that I have who have just been like, yeah, you can give me your phone number purely because they're like, I don't want him to like punch me in the face because I say no is really, really troubling. And I, I obviously we don't know if Bella has that fear. I would probably wager to say that she does because most women do. 
just have and like, she's like she's clearly shown to have anxiety anyways exactly so there's just like there is always always the fear of like if i make this man mad what is he gonna do um i have it most of my female friends have it it's why i don't like going to places where I know I'm going to have to interact with a lot of other people if I don't have my husband with me. It's not because I think he's going to protect me, but I think genuinely guys will react better if there's another guy around. Oh, no, it's for some reason. The the type of the type of men that are that aggressive about it respect another man being there. Yeah. But if he's not there, then they're like, because it doesn't, I, I wear my wedding ring every day, right? And I can just be like, oh, I'm married. Show them the ring. And they're still like, they don't care. Mm, okay, like, that doesn't bother me at all. But if it's like, oh, I'm married. My husband is 10 feet away from me. Then it's like, oh, okay, got it. And I definitely think that there is some kind of element to, the, to it where they're like, well, I can't sort of fight because he's going to kick my ass or whatever. Not that I think my husband is... The most physically intimidating person around. Oh, I find him very physically intimidating. I'm sure you do. You are taller than him and weigh more than him. So I... <laughs> I'm still the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I get it. I get where Bella is coming from. I get where any teenage girl is coming from who's like trying to churn out these soft rejections without being mean um especially when you're dealing with someone like eric who like we said walks like an incel and talks like an incel and incels are the people who i would be the most afraid and i don't mean and i when i talk about incels i mean people who describe themselves as incels and are hateful to women i yes i need to be specific i'm not talking about just people who fit that demographic but aren't awful people to be fair, I don't think I've ever met anyone that would technically fit that demographic and gets upset when somebody calls someone. I think everyone has an understanding of. Uh, I think if you get upset, the derogatory. If you get upset nature. at me insulting incels because you fit the description but aren't an incel, you are an incel. Like I. <laughs> like Only I don't. Only an incel thinks like that. Exactly. Like I don't know how to explain it to you. It's like it's like it's like when you talk about how terrifying men are, and some men want to be like, "Excuse me, I'm not terrifying." Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Like if you. <laughs> if you can't recognize that that happens, either you're completely sheltered from other people's viewpoints and experiences. Or you're that guy. Like, it, um, it, it goes without saying that I'm not talking about every single man in existence. That's why I love being married to my husband. Because I can just be like, oh my god, men are awful. And he's just like, bitch, I know. <laughs> I know you're only referring to 95% of them. Yeah, well, it's like, if I'm talking to you about it, if I'm like, man, I fucking hate men, I'm obviously we not don't talking about you. this podcast. <laughs> Just a lot of them. Don't worry, um, we actually love you as long as you're a real man. Real men respect women. <laughs> um, so your note about Tyler is so good. Um, yes. Especially the descriptor that you have at the end of that note. Yeah, so he... At first, he... He goes up to her car he gets out of their car his car while they're in line to leave after ed blocks the men 
and goes up to her truck and is like, hey, dance. And then like, there's so many problems with this on so many levels. Like number one, the only thing we have between them is that he almost vehicular manslaughtered her. <laughs> and I love that as a verb. <laughs> and feels bad about it and keeps apologizing. And I'm like, why would you ask the person you almost killed? That's super weird to me. Uh, but then we find out that he actually knew that she had already turned down multiple men and didn't intend to go. And is like, well, I was just hoping you were letting them down easy. I'm like, why would she be letting them down easy, you fucking idiot? Like, all you do is almost kill her and then apologize. Why would it be you she was waiting for? If if Mike was the third guy, if he was the last person to ask her, that would be understandable. If he was like, well, I thought maybe you were just letting them down easy. I would still be like, okay, I get it. Yeah, I know. That would make sense. I would Because understand. again, she's actually got like some kind of kinship with Mike where like they hang out and are friends and she's like going with him to the beach over the weekend. So that I would understand. But again, like why would she be like, is Tyler really hot? Like, is that why he thinks that she would we just... We don't be... know. For once, we don't know. <laughs> actually, actually, um, if, you, if we're going to go by movie standards, um, and this is really sad. I really wanted to bring this up because I saw it in the news the other week. Um, Gregory Tyree Boyce, who played Tyler in the movies, actually passed away recently, um, very suddenly. And... He, I, I wanted to bring that up because we were talking about Tyler and he, he was very fine. Like he was really good looking. He was 30 years old and he died. Um, and it's there, they have yet to figure out exactly how he died. But I saw that in the news, like between last episode and this one. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Like we're talking about that right now. And he just passed away. So rest in peace uh, to that guy. I just forgot his name. <laughs> rest in peace, anonymous man whose name I do not remember. <laughs> rest in peace, Gregory Tyree Boyce. His girlfriend also died. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was in Las Vegas. They died in Las Vegas. Um, and they don't know how he died yet. It's really sad. I Oh, God. I, I, as bad as it sounds, I mean, at least, like, it would be really bad if only one of them died and the other one had to move on. Oh, God. We're not even getting into that <laughs> conversation because that's actually, that is literally a point that we're going to have to talk about when New Moon comes around because when she jumps off the cliff, Why Edward's like, I'm bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. There are so many toxic relationship issues that are brought up throughout this entire series. But if we're going by movie standards, he was fine. Um, okay, so so Tyler is at least attractive. Yeah, but granted, Eric was also pretty good looking in uh, the movies. So he was not... <laughs> he was... Eric was definitely less of an incel in the films. He was he was really funny. They were like, man, we, d we just can't deal with putting somebody this unlikable on screen. Exactly. He was the one who was like following Bella around with a worm on a stick and he was like look it's a worm that's him so uh I did note during this scene that as this is happening with her and Tyler uh I was really hoping she would just turn around and see Ed just laughing his ass off in his car because it 
would be my response. Like when I read the scene initially, I was laughing at it. And I was like, oh my God, like if I was sitting there in front of her and that happened, I would be laughing at that point. And then she turns around and he is in fact sitting there and just laughing at it. And I'm like, ah, ah, beautiful. Until later. Later, it's not funny anymore. But we'll we'll, we'll get to that at the end of chapter five. (laughs) So the next scene is where Bella makes food and then she has just like she she talks to Jessica on the phone and she's like hey maybe like Lauren and Angela can go with Eric and Tyler or whatever and then they all wind up going together like Bella is matchmaker she is apparently I really want all of their relationships to crash and burn just so Bella looks like the worst matchmaker and I want this to be the origin story for the matchmaker from Mulan and that's why she's so bitter (laughs) Every time she makes a match, it fails. This is the same scene where we find out that um, Charlie is clumsy as fuck, as well as Bella. Yep, chief of police. Chief of police. We were talking in the last episode about him needing to take all the bullets out of his gun so that he <laughs> he doesn't shoot anyone because he's so fucking clumsy. And you said that he should be just riding around on a horse. No gun. Yeah. He, he's only allowed to ride around on horses and he's not allowed to use guns. Oh, what a scene that would be. Um, And we also, so she tells her dad she's going to Seattle in two weeks, which is the excuse she's given for for not going to the dance to everyone, instead of just saying, I can't dance, which would not be a surprise to anyone at this point, given her performance in gym. And uh, she also is thinking about Ed and why he's interested in her, because she's like, I'm not interesting, and I'm not perfect, and I can't lift cars with one hand. And like the last one, I'm like, okay, that's kind of funny. But first of all, Ed is not perfect at all. And second of all, yeah, you're kind of valid. You aren't interesting from an outsider's perspective. Like we're inside your head. So I know you have a personality. But like, there's a reason the movies are made fun of because watching from a third person perspective, Bella's life is painfully dull because she just she doesn't vocalize or like physically demonstrate her feelings she's like a robot walking around and the only insight we get into her is through her thoughts that she's telling us in the book yeah she just kind of stares her way through life and doesn't have anything Interesting. She smiles very little throughout the whole series. And that's actually something that I remember critiquing at the time because in Breaking Dawn, um, she like actually like opens up and becomes more like loving or whatever. She gets some color in her cheeks, which is sad because it's the final movie. And I remember thinking like Kristen Stewart definitely seems like someone who is a really good actress stuck in a role that is just so bland and cardboardy. They should have just done a printout. (laughs) of her and just had it like toted around set (laughs) just have one of those like fat heads like you see with football players on them and it's just Kristen Stewart (laughs) yeah um yeah like she she reminds me of uh of Ray from Evangelion oh I haven't seen Evangelion for those who have watched Evangelion and might be listening that that is not a large overlap in Venn diagram, probably. Uh, 
but very similar, like eerily from an outside perspective. <laughs> All right. The next scene has a lot going on. This is the end of chapter four when Stella yeah. sees Edward in the parking lot because she drops her keys and he miraculously shows up to heroically lift them from a puddle and hand them to her. Oh, my knight in shining armor. Oh my God. And then he admits that he blocked her in so that Tyler could ask her to the dance, which is really And that's shitty. where it wasn't funny anymore. Yep. Uh, he offers to take her to Seattle but he's like super demanding about it and says like, he's basically like, cause uh, he basically says like, you want to go with me. I have nothing better to do. I'll take you to Seattle, <laughs> which is so frustrating and not likable at all. Yeah. I don't. So I made a point of going through and re-highlighting lines in this scene just to read them uh, because of how, bad he is in this scene he legit just nags her and gaslights her throughout the entire thing and i hate him so he the first thing he does is after she picks up his keys or after he picks up her keys and she asks him uh how he just appears like that he says bella it's not my fault if you are exceptionally unobservant (laughs) and then she asks him if she, if he's trying to irritate her to death since Tyler's van didn't do the job. And he says, Bella, you are absolutely absurd. And then follows that up with, I'm sorry, that was rude. I'm not saying it isn't true, but it was rude to say it anyway. Oh my gosh. Ugh. I hate him. And I'm just like, I, I just, I just, why are you a dick? What kills me why is Why are like- you a dick? so what he's saying here when he's like you are absolutely absurd is because in his head and i'm i i swear i won't metagame too much with my knowledge from midnight sun but in his head he's like i care about this girl and i'm infatuated with this girl so of course i would save her from the van hitting her but what he what comes out is he's like you're absurd but then he doesn't explain himself by being like I care about you I didn't want anything to happen to you and if he had then maybe we would have a better understanding of him as a character and they could stop being antagonistic towards each other but instead as a reader of just this first five chapters of Twilight all I can think is you're a piece of shit yeah it's bad it's not it's not okay the way he treats her although I'm pretty sure we'll say that a whole lot as we keep going. But at the end, so at the end of their conversation, uh, he has one of the worst lines I have read in the first five chapters so far. Uh, and it's, but I'm tired of trying to stay away from you, Bella. But he doesn't explain why he would have to stay away from her in the first place. Not only that, but what it, okay, okay, sorry. It's just, you you haven't done anything but be creepy and 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 you've indicated multiple times and he still even says it at the a few lines later uh that she should stay away from him and i'm like okay if you if you care about this person and you actually think that it is dangerous for them to be with you and that it would be better if they didn't get to know you why are you then saying I'm tired of trying to stay away from... That makes you look like the bad guy. 
It does. And he tries to be, and he tries to white fang her by like saying shit like, I am the bad guy. I'm dangerous. Like you should stay away from me. Like I am not good for you, which is fine. Except he's the one in power. He is the one who can physically remove himself from the situation. I mean, he literally, just to metagame a little bit more, he literally in the week when he was gone, fucked off to Alaska. Like, he, he literally just walked to Alaska to go be with some of his other vampire friends so that he could have some time away from her. And he was like, I guess I can't stay away from her forever. And just goes back because he has terrible impulse control. It's like, yeah, yeah, you can. You actually, you can do that. Like, if you legitimately believe you're bad, then yeah, you can do that. It's, <laughs> it's, it, this is where it becomes genuinely upsetting and abusive because he is saying shit that would indicate that he has more to explain to her. Like, I'm tired of trying to stay away from you, which would imply that he's going to explain why he would have to stay away from her. He's saying shit like, you're absurd. And like, you, he's like insulting her as though she has a deeper understanding of him that he hasn't provided. So if he's going to now say shit like basically like what we said last episode with the when he makes it her business what is going on with him he needs to stop fucking gaslighting her and he needs to tell her the truth and it's really really shitty because it's a while we still have a while before she even learns that he's a vampire but he thinks it's totally okay that he's going to continue to say cryptic shit and weird things like, I'm the villain, I'm going to be bad for you, but still not explain why or what is what the hell is going on with him. I hate him. I hate him so much. <laughs> I hate him a lot. Um, I do have a few notes um, from the, the next chapter and from chapters later on um, in which I become uncomfortably horny for Edward Cullen, but I need you to understand oh. it's because I'm imagining at Robert Pattinson saying this shit. That's <laughs> so I'm just like, oh, that's creepy. And then in my head, I see Robert Pattinson saying the line and I'm like, never mind. Oh my God. And, okay. So I, one of the things that does get me at the end of this scene, and it, it, I don't know why that reminded me of it. But you talked about how, like, he's the one that has the power to leave and everything. And all I can think is, out of context, again, but it's, it's one of those things where in context is bad. But when I take it out of context, it makes it worse instead of making it better. Um, you're a century-old vampire who is essentially hunting down a 17-year-old child. Like, you are refusing to stay away from a child that you think you are bad for. What does that say about you? <laughs> I think, so something that I have been fascinated by in, um, I don't know how to explain it, but literature that involves people who are immortal. And this, you can see this a lot in, like, the Vampire Chronicles um, with, what's her name? Uh, the little... The little girl in the in the vampire chronicles. Is this one of those deals where she was turned like as a twelve year old or something? So she she's actually played by Kirsten Dunst in Interview with a Vampire. Her name is Claudia, and she was turned as a child and then had to live like hundreds of years as a child. But 
while she does mature a little bit as time goes on and she talks about wanting to experience things that an adult would, she still has childlike tendencies. And so you can kind of get that she's not like, because she's stuck as a kid, she's still like part of her is remaining as immature as a child. And so I, I wish that Stephanie Meyer had explored this more because it is really terrifying to think of this like centuries old vampire, well not centuries old, one century old vampire being like infatuated with a 17 year old. Like but... I expected that she, I couldn't remember. I thought maybe she did explain it. And I, I was waiting for you to shed some light on that were the case. So I'm glad that you also are like, this is weird. So I actually, one of my own writing projects involves an immortal who falls in love with a, a mortal. And I remember it originally involved him being 17 when they first meet. And then there's a time skip of about 10 years uh, where they don't see each other again. And then he's 27. And so it's okay. And I was like, oh, it's fine. But then as I thought back on it, I was like, it's really, really weird to have this person who is so aged be like, actually interested in someone who is young even though they look young they aren't young so i would have really liked it if um there had been some kind of explanation that maybe edward just isn't maturing as fast as he should be because he's stuck in a 17 year old's body and see i thought of that i i was like maybe that is the case but that still presents another problem to me which is if he can't mature or is very, very slowly maturing because of his condition as, as a vampire. That likely means that he's not really capable of changing as a person in general. Yeah. And that's not healthy. Yeah. In the long run. There's, I mean, there's a reason that I really liked the way Anne Rice presented it. Um, not to give Anne Rice too much undue praise, um, but because she basically made it a twofold issue where she was like, well, they're still maturing. Like she's still learning and growing as a person, but she still has childlike tendencies. And so I feel like if, you know, so much of his character had matured, but he was still like in, in the brain of a 17 year old boy where he could only essentially find 17 year old girls attractive, you know, like not in like a making excuses for him kind of way, but where a like. I mean, if if I was 17, obviously I would only be attracted to other 17-year-olds, so. I, I need a setup where it's not creepy or it's creepy. I need it explained why it's not creepy. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's really frustrating um, to read because it's like you want to find some believability in this because obviously Bella would be infatuated with someone who is so otherworldly and beautiful and interesting. And she's like, oh my God, he's like, a hundred years old or whatever and he's immortal and he's always going to be young and beautiful and obviously she's going to be like fuck me right now but edward is really really culpable in manipulating and um basically abusing her and i hate to use the word abuse um in any official way because obviously i don't want to come across like I'm taking it flippantly or like I'm not taking it seriously enough that I'm just going to call everything abuse but it's it's starting to get to the point where you can't ignore it like we can't yeah, it's it's like we talked about last time she clearly has some self-esteem issues already and some anxiety so the fact that he's it like it's not just that he's insulting her but we see in the next chapter 
that she has even taken in. Like, she's acknowledged that he thinks of her poorly in some regards and just accepts it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no, that's not good. That's not good for your mental health. (laughs) So your final statement on this chapter made me laugh really hard. Um, If you don't mind, um, you said, were I to rate this chapter on a scale of Nicolas Cage to Benedict (laughs) Cumberbatch, I'd give it a Kevin Bacon. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, those are my feelings. That's such an odd scale to use. I hate I this chapter. It. I love it so much. But, I, but, but this... the, the better part of that rating is like, it's not just that you're talking about how shitty the chapter is. You're also talking about how much you hate Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> like, this, like, we can all agree that Nicolas Cage is not the best actor and that Benedict Cumberbatch is a very good actor. But for you to be so scathing about the chapter and then be like, it's Kevin Bacon. <laughs> There's so many layers to this joke. Listen, this is this is 20 pages of nothing. It is. It's really I, bad. I, Chapter I, 4 is abysmal. It's, aside from the final scene and kind of the scene where they argue in the classroom and she trips and drops the books, none of this was necessary. We don't see any vital care, like... In the long run, vital character interactions happen. We don't get any information that is necessary in the long. It's something that could have, like it could have been summed up the same way the rest of the previous month had been, and made much shorter. And we basically she'd taken it and just made another like page of the summary where she was like, people kept asking me to the dance, and I said no, and maybe like had a little bit of an extended overview of the scene with Tyler asking her and air and uh, Ed, like having been the mastermind behind it and everything. And then just her and its conversations, it would have been far better, but I, I felt like it was, I was dragging my feet to get through this chapter because of how just dull it was for a fourth chapter in the book. Like, Especially with these chapters that are so long. It's not like it's a James Patterson novel where you're on chapter four, two pages in. You know, you've got, this was probably page like 60 or 70 by the time we got to chapter four. And we've just like, and I get that, I I understand the motivation for having the rejection scenes because Smyre really wanted to cement, and we can talk about this so much later when we actually get to Eclipse uh, with Jacob and Edward, but it's Smyre really wanting to cement that Bella is not interested in any other guys. And it's like, you can show us without specifically telling us that she said no to every single boy who wanted to go to the dance with her. Uh, And I'm going to say this again, because we're on team Mike. Um, He's the only one I get. He's the only one I understand actually approaching her about the dance. Yep. But she already. Seriously, why the hell did Eric evolve? Like Eric's actually the weirdest one now that I think about it, because like, why would he even think. I know that would go well. I don't, I don't get it. I, I really don't understand <laughs> where the motivation came from other than the male entitlement that we already talked about, that they might, that they think like, oh, well, you know, she hasn't asked anyone else, so maybe she'll ask me. Sorry, my cat is throwing dice all over the room. Uh, so the, <laughs> the next, uh, you have chapter five summed up very well, but it's, it's short. Well, it's not that it's short necessarily. It's still like 20 something pages, but I said it's... N- 
it's not 27 separate scenes that have just been shoved together because the way Smyre writes, it's like she doesn't understand how to do scene breaks. And I understand like, okay, so you, you have two options when you're doing a chapter. You can, I guess maybe three options. You can either write one chapter that is one scene and it's long. You can have a chapter be a collection of scenes that are all immediately following one another or related to one another and vital to the story. Or you can have short chapters. Yeah. I like short chapters. I mean, if, if you're going to write the way that Smyre writes, they should be short chapters. I was going to say, she chooses to do none of those. She chooses to make long, meandering chapters with disconnected scenes and ideas that are unimportant. Yeah. I like to think of writing chapters um, in terms of filmmaking, where I like to think of a chapter as um, it's necessary. I, every time I write a chapter, I think, could this chapter all be filmed in one take? And if the answer is no, it's usually because the chapter is too long or too dissonant. So you need to be able to have it all be flowing and connected. Um, and most of the chapters in Twilight, unfortunately, are very disconnected. So chapter five so is actually the only one that isn't. The way that ch chapter five flows to me, like the way I write, which I've started doing, I do a chapter scene beat breakdown, basically. Yeah. Where it's a chapter is broken up into parts, like actually physically broken up. Like there's a part one, a part two, and each of those parts is actually a scene, like in a film. And the scenes have to have a beat. If the scenes don't have a beat, there's not a justification for it. Yeah. Um, there has to be progress in the character emotionally or in the story. And Stephanie doesn't understand what beats are. Stephanie doesn't know what an emotional beat or a story beat is, except in chapter five. That's the only chapter. <laughs> Yeah. So chapter five, uh, does this begin with them having lunch together? Uh, yeah, it does. See. So, yeah. yeah, so this is the, she goes into the lunchroom and she sees that he's not sitting at his normal table and she loses her appetite and only buys a lemonade. And I wrote, Bella is so absorbed in this boy that the mere absence, that his mere absence from the cafeteria makes her lose her appetite. And that's disconcerting. It is. She's already becoming so codependent on him and his presence in her life that just not seeing him at his usual table, like, freaks her out so much that she can't eat, which is and, an obvious sign like, of anxiety. Get it. Like, I have anxiety and I, it is very common for me to get nauseous when something upsets me and not be able to eat. But, like, this is at a level where it's, it's not that it's that she's sick that's that's concerning and upsetting it's how minuscule the problem has to be uh so he right when she sees him sitting across the room by himself he like raises his hand and just like ushers her over with one finger and like, it's so gross and weird and horrifying but again i imagined robert pattinson ushering me over from across the room with just one finger and i was like okay i get it Oh, it, it just seemed to me it, it read like somebody like he knew what he was doing and he thought he was so cool and suave just sitting by himself waving her over with his waggling his finger at her I'm like oh my 
God. It's because he he definitely was like very much like, oh, I know she's gonna come right over here, which is why he sat by himself. He like he preemptively sat by himself so that when she showed up, he could just wag his finger at her and she would. He knew walk he over. had control of the situation, and it's like that confidence is could be attractive if he wasn't already disgusting. Yeah, I mean, if he had just, I, it, this scene could have been so much less creepy if he had walked up to her as she exited the lunch line and was like, hey, would you like to sit with me at lunch today? Instead of being a smug bitch from across the room being like, come here, baby. Like, oh. And then, and then telling her when she gets over there, I decided as long as I was going to hell, I might as well do it thoroughly. Followed up by a, a few sentences later yes giving up trying to be good i'm just going to do what i want now and let the chips fall where they may but i'm warning you now that i'm not a good friend for you a little later if you're smart you'll avoid me yo stop get away from your microphone i he's going like I don't know how Bella finds this attractive because this sounds like he's going to rape and murder her. Like he's literally like, I'm a bad person and I'm tired of staying away from you. So I'm just going to break into your room in the middle of the night, have my way with you, then strangle you with a pillowcase. Like what about this scene says like, oh, he likes me. Smyers is like, I am going to go full throttle on the dark, mysterious bad boy vibe. Except I'm not going to go for the appealing parts of the dark, mysterious bad boy where he seems like he's nice underneath or really cool. Or has, it, it, it's just he's going to act like a dick and talk about how bad he is. <laughs> it's so it's it's so off putting. I don't understand why she keeps talking to him when he says this shit other than her That's... being defiantly curious. Yeah, there is a point where it's no longer reasonable to keep digging. And she is well past that point and doesn't even show, like, the rest of her character doesn't show that uh, any indication that she should be the type that would dig that far down. She's so passive in so many different ways, but then all of a sudden she's, like, super assertive about wanting to know the deeper secrets of Edward. And I just, like, I don't... And that's something we mentioned last time, like she's super aggressive with him, but never with anyone else. And it confuses me because of all of her other anxious tendencies, because I don't like, like, because I relate to her on that. I'm like, I don't like conflict. I specifically avoid conflict with people. And she's like going hard on this conflict with Ed. And I'm like, how are you? This doesn't make sense. This isn't how you act normally based on your character and everything else we've set up you shouldn't be acting like this now. Yeah. So um, Edward says that her friends are angry at her because they think that he has stolen her from them. And she's like, that's fine. And he's like, I might not give you back. And when I tell you, I had to put my book down to just think about Robert Pattinson saying that line. <gasps> oh, oh. Look, the only thing this book has going for it is that I want to be between Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson. <laughs> I, I, I will say that on the surface, the idea of somebody I'm super attracted to being like, I'm not going to let you go is like, 
super enthralling. Like, oh, yeah, but, but, no, but no, not Ed. (laughs) See, that's the thing, is, like, I'm not imagining Edward Cullen looking like Robert Pattinson saying this to me. I'm just imagining Robert Pattinson full-on, like, long hair, crazy microwave meal that he's just cooked up in his quarantine apartment during his interview with GQ. (laughs) Do you want some of my hungry man? (laughs) (laughs) And he's, like, taking pictures and talking about being Batman or whatever. And then I'm, I'm like talking to him and he's like, Hey, so your friends are mad that like you broke social distancing rules to come hang out with me. And I'm like, Oh, it's okay. And he's like, I might not give you back. (laughs) And then I melt. That's my problem. Maybe if I start reading this book and just imagining Kristen Stewart instead of Bella Swan. (laughs) you'll be so much you're like like everybody's fawning over her and you're like i get it i get it really i watched charlie's angels she's so hot i oh my god we are bella swan right now we are we're literally (laughs) just talking about how hot these people are and everybody's like okay it's been 20 pages we get it they're hot okay move on oh no i understand bella it's so it's bad i mean like when you see someone super hot and infatuating i mean i guess i would understand like riding their dick until they tell you what is going on with them what is is the problem that we're like bella or is it is the problem that there's so little appeal to this book that it's the only way for us to escape is to turn into bella and fawn over these attractive people i definitely um so to like turn a serious note on this conversation about how hot Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson are, um, what's troubling to me about this book as something that women between the ages of 12 and 18 um, can probably read and be re- like really feel resonating with them is that um, she lets herself become so um, absorbed and wrapped up in this man's life that she loses everything else that she ever cared about. Um, by the end of Breaking Dawn, she has no familial connections left because they're all like she's immortal and everybody else is gonna die. And um, she basically lets herself be um, completely taken in by this and. So while the idea of having to become super shallow and just fawn over someone who is super beautiful uh, in order to be able to enjoy this book is really funny, people are imprinting their personality on Bella Swan. And people are saying, like, when am I going to find my Edward Cullen or, or blah, 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 blah. Like, they, they're romanticizing this. You don't want this. to. Like, that kind of isolation is indicative of, of an abusive and controlling relationship. Yeah. Well, I do. Well, I definitely see the allure of finding, like, your beautiful soulmate and uh, becoming immortal and getting to live on into eternity with them. This is not the kind of relationship you should be idealizing. Um, it's really, It's really scary and it's really... Um, manipulative and abusive and it's sad because we're, we're laughing at her and we're making fun of her but like she could be a real 17 year old who well obviously she couldn't because there's no vampires but she could be someone who is letting herself be wrapped up in a relationship with someone because they're beautiful and vexing and because she can't find a reason not to and because she's just so curious about them which is um, terrifying. Yeah, absolutely terrifying. 
And that's that's kind of what I was talking about to earlier when I said that when you're writing something like this, you need to be careful of the message you're sending out. Because not only are you saying, like, I know a lot of teenage boys uh, did not read Twilight like I did. Uh, but, like, the message I got from that, from this book, would have been the way Edward acts is okay. Because I didn't see a problem with it when I was a teenager. When I read it now, I'm like, wow, that's wrong. But I didn't then. So what kind of implications would that have for my relationships then as a young man? Yeah. Um, so this conversation is infuriating as per usual because Bella yes, is I like, already gave the quote, many quotes of Ed. Yeah. She's like, um, can you tell me something that makes sense? And he's like, I'm creepy. And that's pretty much the whole conversation. And... Uh, when he says, if, when he tells her if she's smart, she'll avoid him. Uh, he says, I, or she says, I think you've made your opinion on the subject of my intellect clear. And I was like, okay, so he doesn't think you're very smart. You know, he doesn't think you're very smart and you accept that he doesn't think that you're smart. That's one of the defining things about her was that she was really smart. Yeah. So I'm like, what? Like she was talking about <laughs> hoping she would get scholarships to good schools in Hawaii, which would be a whole different story, by the way, if she just walked off to Hawaii after graduation. I would love to see to this explored from the, like from the, topic of her being a highly intelligent but socially distant person too where she feels like you know she's constantly af ahead of everyone else and she has this difficulty connecting to them and that's all she wants is to be able to experience these normal connections but for some reason it just doesn't work with her and she feels like she's almost not human or something but we just don't get any of that depth yeah it's stephanie meyer definitely has encroached on depth several times already in these first five and then steered clear popped a yui at the last second yeah back wheels hanging off the edge of that cliff and then just managed to pull back up on to land and get away yeah, like the, the first scene we talked about where she said that she felt like she saw things differently than everybody else. And that kind of isolation and insecurity is definitely driving her further towards Edward because he's showing her attention and saying, and, you know, he, as an extraordinary person, is giving her a reason to think that maybe she could be extraordinary if only she could please him. But that's jumping back into the conversation we just exited, so... And did you know how much it frustrates him when she's cryptic and doesn't give him direct answers? But he, oh God, uh, well, at least she backsasses him. I was about to say, I, so when I originally read this, I didn't, it was, when I was taking my initial notes, I stopped right when he gave that line and highlighted it and made a note in the book and said, wow, like, it's only along the lines of like, wow, really? hypocrite like you're bitching about somebody else being mysterious and cryptic and then i turn the page and it's just bella monologuing at him being a smart ass about the fact that that's all he ever does to her and i'm like oh 
Thank you, Bella. Thank you for at least standing up for yourself a little bit here. Before they actually start dating, she bites back at him. Like she is someone who is not going to be told what to do or how to feel or whatever. But no, he even comments on her like obeying him later in this chapter and being surprised that she did it. I wish that she would keep that personality and never, ever, ever date Edward ever. Oh my God. And his response to her snapping at him. You've got a bit of a temper, don't you? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you're an asshole. So I think any sane woman, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh no. That's literally him being like, oh, women, you're so emotional. You just, you can't control your emotions. I hate it. And it's just, I'm angry at you for not telling me what you think I am. Well, I'm angry at you for never giving me a direct answer ever and being weird all the time and angry and, you know, putting the space between us without explanation. Oh, well, you've got a temper. Listen to me be condescending about the fact that now you're upset about the same thing that I just said I was upset about. What? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So then um, he does not go to uh, biology because obviously they're going to be doing blood testing and he can't have his blood tested, which is um, hysterical because he, it's high school. Your high school they don't teacher, do first of all, that if they do, your high school teacher cannot be like, you have to prick your finger. Not only that, but most high school i'm sure like yeah there are dumb people out there dumb teachers but like the normal thing to do in that instance like everyone's aware that there are people that don't do blood and don't do that like can't handle that kind of thing so almost anytime something like that comes up in school you're gonna have a teacher be like hey if you can't handle this kind of thing let me know ahead of time yeah and you can go out in the hall or like you can go do something else or whatever and he's just like Lol, here's some kits. Test your blood. (laughs) Just like, you are a very irresponsible teacher, Mr. Varner. So she passes out because she smells the blood. Edward later insists that people can't smell blood. Yes, you certainly can. Oh my God. Did you see my note on that? I was like, what the hell are you talking? I can smell blood. What? He's so weird about it too. Like he's insinuating that she's like better than people because she can smell you can smell blood. And what kills me about this is Stephanie Meyer is a woman who has had she multiple has children. So she's smelled blood before. You cannot tell me that you have never smelled your own period, Stephanie Meyer. And I just, it's like that thing where you try to make a main character more interesting or give them a special trait that they shouldn't have to make them more on par with the supernatural character, but it doesn't make any sense because literally anyone that reads it that has a sense of smell will disagree with it. So you just sit there like, my theory, poor Brandon, (laughs) poor Brandon wouldn't understand. Uh My theory on this uh, is that, oh my God, what a terrible joke. Hold on. Were you just talking about the fact that Brandon doesn't have a sense of smell? Yes. (laughs) My, my husband Brandon, our editor, he he cannot smell. Poor boy. But, you know, lucky boy, because the amount of times I've had to smell piss and poop, oh, I would love to not be able to smell. 
But my theory on this is that Stephanie Meyer has a really stinky period. And so she was apologizing to her husband one time. And she was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. and so stinky. And he was like, <laughs> and, he, oh my God. and he was like, what are you talking about? Like, I can't smell it. Like he's trying to flatter her and be like, I, I can't smell blood. And she was like, really? And he's like, yeah, most people can't smell blood, Stephanie. Do we get into the whole, like, when Bella has her time of the month in this series? No, it is no. never brought up. Though that is a huh. very that is a very popular question because the whole plot of New Moon is that when she cuts her finger open, Jasper loses his shit and almost kills her. And then, well, then she gets launched onto a... <laughs> she gets launched onto a glass coffee table and then there's more blood uh but people asked like from the beginning they were like so can bella just like not hang out with them when she's on her period because he would lose his mind but it's never established this is such a glaring plot hole that i just it's there's a lot of glaring plot holes i assure you but this is just the biggest most immediate one like from the first or second chapter it's just there and you're like but what happens (laughs) Oh. Um. Then Edward uh, fucking uh, M- Mike tries to take Bella to the nurse and Ed hero blocks him by stopping uh, Bella's like I just want to lay on the cold ground on the way to the nurse and Ed's like okay I'm just going to carry you to the nurse now and Mike's like no I gotta do it and Ed's like get out of here Chump. Poor Mike. He's probably just like, Edward's a creep. Don't go with him. What are you doing? Yeah, like, I could see this from Mike's perspective, just being like, I am concerned. Genuinely concerned. Mike is the only one with a good head on his shoulders, damn it. Um, so then they go to the nurse. Ed lies for her and says that she's too sick to go to gym. So she leaves. And Oh my god, the parking lot scene. I hate the parking lot scene. No, no. He forces her to get in his car because he says that he will chase her down and drag her back to his car if he she doesn't go with him. Which He's, is okay. so hot, right? Oh. No, he literally said, the, the, the line is written, where do you think you're going? He asked, outraged. He was gripping a fistful of my jacket in one hand. And then later, he was towing me towards his car, pulling me by my jacket. It was all I could do to keep from falling backward. He would probably just drag me along anyway if I did. And I'm like, this doesn't, like, this isn't even on the kind of aggressive in a hot way level this is just straight up manhandling and terrifying i tried to imagine robert pattinson doing this to me and i thought i was going to die so still I, wasn't hot. it was not hot um <laughs> wait let me think about Kristen stewart doing it oh no still not hot it's really- i don't know i think it kind of works for me but that's <laughs> that's my kink so <laughs> i think this scene is supposed to be like um like joking like playing rough like him just being like come on it's him infantilizing her basically definitely not written in a way that makes it seem okay though like yeah it's it's really bad this scene is really really bad 
Uh, so he, she gets into his car, no evidence that he's actually going to take her home. She doesn't tell him where she lives, but they make it there anyway. I comment on that at the end. Yeah. Cause I say like, okay, he drops her off. I was waiting for like her to think about the fact that he got her to her house without her telling him where to go. And she didn't. And I even like peeked ahead to the next chapter to see if like it started with her being like, wait, how do I know? We just never acknowledged the fact that he knew where she lived. I just remembered that he sits and stares at her at night while she sleeps. Oh God. Oh no. We aren't to that yet in the book, but that is a thing that happens. Thing that happens and has probably already been happening. Yeah, so, and she doesn't even think about, like, how did he know where to take She me? doesn't even question it. So this brings us to the one and only thing they have in common, which is that they are both familiar with the song Claire de Lune, which is such a popular song. I'm sorry, what's Claire de Lune? <laughs> Anyone who has ever listened to classical music has heard this song especially in recent years because it was in um the soundtrack for the evil within it was like really prominently um featured so even like a lot of people who typically wouldn't listen to classical music are familiar with claire de lune it is a it's like saying that oh you you're familiar with hit me baby one more time by britney's like, oh my God, you've heard Bohemian Rhapsody? That's so interesting. Have you ever heard of this band called The Beatles? They're like totally legit. They don't make music like that anymore. So far, other than um, being okay at chemistry, um, that's the only thing that they have in common. And, and apparently having that song on just makes the manhandling that happened previously okay because like he just turns that song on and she's like, I'm cool now. I have no more problems with what happened here. Oh my God. That's the end of chapter five, which means. So this is, no, hold on. This is also where they talk about both of, they tell each other that they don't seem like they're 17. And I would like to stake my, my claim that that is not at all true. They both do act very 17. Edward acts like. a 17-year-old axe murderer, but they're still definitely 17. Neither of them act like they are mature emotionally or mentally or capable of handling a relationship or a hundred years old. Yeah. It's... Uh, yeah. But I, we'll get into it later because um, they talk so... I think the calling Bella old for her age referring to her as an old soul saying she's been she was born 35 years old that strikes me as stephanie meyer sent this to an editor and they were like why is a 117 year old man infatuated with a 17 year old and so when it was sent back she had to go in and be like she's old for her age she's mature she's it's literally like when a 21 year old like hangs out at like high school football games and just preys on the 15 year old girls who are like he says i'm mature for my age yep and and she's not like she, we should we get indications of it we do have those moments mostly in the first chapter where it's like yeah she she does seem to have some mature outlooks and then stephanie just throws it away yeah and we don't see it again zero indication after the first 12 pages 
that she's mature for her age, other than the fact that she cooks dinner for her dad because she's a woman and he's a man, so therefore he doesn't know how to cook. Um, oh, no, it's okay, though, because her mom also can't cook. She made strange concoctions. Oh, God. He was scared when he came into the house and smelled bell peppers because he wasn't sure what Bella would have done given what he knew of her mother's cooking. <laughs> God forbid having some fucking bell peppers in my enchiladas. Um, Can you imagine like walking like 17 years after a relationship with somebody that can't cook very well and you walk in and just the smell of bell peppers is enough to terrify you? He's so triggered by the smell of bell peppers. He's remembering that one time she stuffed them with brownies and he's like, oh no, <laughs> not again. Not, not bell peppers and brownies, brownies in bell peppers. Yeah. <laughs> She was like, I, she, he came home and she was like, I made stuffed peppers. And there's just like fudge and marshmallows oh. in of these bright green bell peppers that he grew himself in the garden outside. I worked so hard on these. And he so just has to, and, and like, she's the only woman he's ever been with because he's secretly gay. So he's like, I can't ruin this. I can't let this go. So he just eats the the stuffed peppers and he's got marshmallows and pepper skin between his teeth and he's just like traumatized he doesn't sleep that night (laughs) we get a scene later in the book where bella walks out to the backyard and she just sees some old rotting flower bed that had been built and she goes to ask her dad about it and he's like i haven't touched that since the night of the bell pepper incident i just didn't have the heart to keep working at it (laughs) Oh my gosh. That was how his one and only hobby fell apart. (laughs) And that was why their marriage declined. He was at least interesting to her when he was into gardening. But after that, she just couldn't deal with the bleak, abysmal land that was Forks. But one day, early in the morning, before the sun had crested the horizon, she heard him outside crying, stomping on his bell pepper plants. (laughs) Oh. All right. You know, um, the one thing I loved besides Bella in this world. <laughs> we have made it to the end of part one. We did it. <sighs> I think it's time that we wrap this up. Next time we'll pick up with chapter six through 10. Hopefully we'll be able to trim it down so that we can do all five chapters in one episode. If not, we're going to be doing this forever. <laughs> all right. Well, that's the end. We will see you all next week. We hope you have a good time. All right. Peace.